Today, uh, I'd like to talk to you about Christmas. Uh, not really, but a little bit. I don't know, some of you might already be freaking out because you saw some of the leaves turning a bit yellow and you're dreading the end of summer. Um, but Christmas is something that I really enjoyed as a kid. Um, it's something that my family really enjoyed, me and my sisters especially, because I would remember the anticipation building up towards Christmas. We knew what to expect. We knew what was going to happen on Christmas Day. And the anticipation of waiting for the gifts and waiting for the time with family, it was so much that we would, if you're a parent here, maybe you, maybe you can relate to this, but we would stay up super late. We would be up until like 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning, and we'd be talking about Christmas tomorrow. And then sometimes we'd go to sleep, and we'd wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and then we'd sneak upstairs, and I'd be like, hey, and I would convince my sisters to go wake up my mom and dad at 3 o'clock. Is it time to open presents yet? <clears throat> um, it wasn't. <laughs> but we would do that for like every hour on the hour we'd go and try waking them up and see if it was time to open presents yet and we'd watch uh, these, these uh, cartoons these Christmas specials waiting for it and it ended up being 8 o'clock anyway so we could have gotten a full night of sleep uh, but there was an excitement about, those, about those, that, that time the gifts, the time that we got to spend together my dad showing me how all my toys worked because he had already played with all of them far in advance to figure them all out um, those were exciting things, and we, I, like, we always did it as a group. Me and my sisters were always this team, like, we're going to go do this together. We wouldn't leave anybody behind. Nobody gets left behind on Christmas. And now that I'm older, uh, I realize that over the last 10, 20 years of my life that I still do this, but not necessarily just at Christmas time. Um, but I bring people in on the things that I'm excited about. Um, the things that I believe in, the things that I care about, I share them with other people. And it's super easy, especially with social media. The other day I was showing Bowen in the office videos of sloths because I'm really interested in sloths lately. Uh, but we do that on Facebook and you can see the, people, the things that people are passionate about, the things that people believe in, they share it with other people. They want people to know and they want to share in those experiences with them. And so today we, what we want to talk about is how, how our understanding of Christ gives us purpose and causes us to act. So how does knowing Christ cause us to want to share him more and how does it influence the way we share him? So our passage that we're going to be looking at today will be Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And it's going to be a little bit of time before we read it, but feel free to turn there already. <clears throat> now, something I like to do very often when looking up these kinds of passages is I'm, I'm still learning how to, to read the Bible better and better all the time. And one of the things that I've learned is that different books in the Bible have different ways of reading them. They have different kind of rules and, and different ways that we can get things out of them. And so the Bible is a collection of 66 books, and all of these books point towards the person of, of Jesus Christ in some way. And there are a variety of different genres. We have the poetry books, the narratives, the wisdom, the law, the letter books. All of these books are conjoined together to point towards Christ and then do it in different ways. So for example, we've gone through letters before, and letters were very much written like they are today. Um, you know, the, the rules of a letter is that in the beginning you put who it's addressed to, at the end you put who it's written by. Uh, but the type of book that we're looking at today is not a letter, it's a gospel. Uh, there's four gospels in the Bible, the gospels of Mark, Luke, or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And gospel, the translation of the word gospel comes from the Greek, which means good news. So if you're ever wondering what gospel means when someone says, what is the gospel? It's the good news. And the four books that we have in our Bibles are the good news of Jesus Christ. They're the accounts that the, that the apostles wrote about uh, 
went in their accounts of, with Jesus. So if you think of the gospel, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, and before they were used in the New Testament, they would often be used, the term gospel or evangelion, which is the Greek uh, word, would be used for like political and military victories. So it's like the good news, like the good news of a victory. Uh, these books are written in kind of like a story format, which is great for us because we understand things well in stories. Uh, if you've ever been to like school and they give you like a checklist of all the things you do, that you need to do, you forget all of them right away. But if they make a funny video and make a story out of it, you remember it. So stories are good for us to remember. And these Gospels are the accounts of Jesus' life. And they're written to show us aspects of who he is. I think sometimes we can think that the Bible is just a collection of random stories. Uh, or, you know, these are just the things that happened in Jesus' life. But actually, the stories that are in the Gospels, and the Gospels of Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John, are actually very intentionally placed in there to show us certain aspects of who Jesus is. This is why you're going to find that um, through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see some of the same stories, but they're going to be in different places uh, chronologically. It's because they weren't necessarily telling a story from start to finish but they're, telling, they're making points by illustrating parts of Jesus' life. And so that's the way we're kind of going to be looking at the scripture today. We're going to be taking a look at how the, the, the many stories point towards one direction. So before we read in Mark chapter 2, we're going to go back to chapter 1. And we're going to see how Mark is developing the story and the point that he's trying to make about Christ. So we will not read all of it, uh, but I will summarize some of it. So in chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, the writer of the Gospel of Mark, uh, he writes about John the Baptist making the way for the Savior. And this person who's going to make the way is prophesied in Isaiah. In chapters 1, verses 9 to 11, we see how Jesus submits to God the Father through his baptism. And then during the story, the heavens part and the Spirit descends on Jesus. And there's a voice from the heaven that says, you are my son, who I, in whom I am well pleased. In chapter 1, verses 12 to 13, Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness and ministered to by angels. And then we see a little bit of a shift in how Mark starts presenting uh, Jesus in chapter 1, verse 14 to 22, and begins to talk about how Jesus is an authority over certain things. So in chapter 1, verses 14 to 22, Jesus' ministry begins, and Jesus begins to begin preaching with authority about the coming kingdom of God and about repentance. And people are amazed at his teaching. They're like, Who is this? what is this teaching? This is different than we've ever heard before. He preaches with authority. And then shortly after that, in chapter 1, verses 23 to 27, uh, the writer of Mark is showing how Jesus has authority over impure spirits. The spirits acknowledged who Jesus was, and they were afraid of him. Jesus was able to command them out of people. And so we're seeing this, these examples of authority that Mark is attributing to Jesus. And then in chapters 1, verses 29 to 34, Jesus has authority over sickness and disease. He heals people, and he casts out demons from the demon-possessed, uh, and he's becoming super famous. People are starting to know who he is. Uh, the, he, people are coming from all around to see this person, Jesus. And then in chapter 1, verse 35 to 45, because he's so Surrounded by people, he begins separating himself from the crowds and going to other towns to preach. So we can see that he has authority over all these things. And what Mark is doing, or what the Gospel of Mark is doing, is is that he's showing us in very clear-cut ways that who Jesus is, the Son of God. 
And now this is where we find ourselves at the beginning of chapter 2. So Jesus has begun his ministry. He's teaching with authority about the kingdom of God being near. He's teaching repentance from sin. Uh, he's healing people. He's casting out demons with authority. And people are coming to him from everywhere. So now we're going to begin, or now we're going to read in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. It's something that we do here at Pathway that we like to do. Is like We like to stand for the reading of his word. So once you have it, if you would stand with me, we'll read it together. And if you're ever wondering why we stand, there's some things that sometimes we do as Christians that maybe don't make sense if you've never done it before. So sometimes if we pray, we close our eyes and we fold our hands. Those are good things. We often do them to position ourselves. So we close our hands so that we're not playing with things like I'm doing right now. Uh, and we close our eyes just to not have the distractions around us. And something that we're doing right now is that, you know, don't feel like when you're at home doing your personal Bible study that you have to stand. Uh, it's just a positioning that we do together as a body to focus on God's word. So we're going to begin in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat with the man lying on it. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Let's pray together. Uh, dear Lord, we just want to thank you for today. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word and, and how you guide us in your word to show us more of who you are. Lord, as you reveal yourself, uh, Lord, we just pray that we would be motivated to continue to pursue you. Um, that as you reveal yourself, we would be driven, we would have purpose in knowing who you are and what you've done for us. Lord, we thank you for who you are, and we pray this in your name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. <clears throat> Okay, so what I like to do is I usually like to go through the story from the perspective of the different characters. And so we have several different characters in this story. We have the crowds. Uh, we have the paralyzed man and his friends. Great bunch of guys. Uh, we also have the teachers of the law, and we have Jesus himself. So here's the story. He's coming back home, and the crowds hear that he's coming, so they're all coming. They swarm him. And it says that there's not even room for them to meet, to meet at the door. They're so packed. So when I, when I picture this, I just imagine this person, Jesus, sitting in this home, and people are in there, and I imagine them that they're probably packed in like sardines because everybody wants to know who he is. They know that he, can, he teaches with authority. They know that he can heal people and that he can cast out demons, and they want to know more about him. And so they're all coming, and there's not room for anybody anymore. There's not room for anybody anymore. They're all packed in. And, see, and these people are kind of the witnesses to this whole, this whole story of what's going on here. Um, and so and there's the next set of characters is the paralyzed man and his friends. And man, like, what good friends this guy has. Like, 
I can't imagine if I was being paralyzed and I knew that there was somebody who could possibly save me, but I had no way to get there. And my friends took me to get to see him. These guys are pretty, pretty top notch. And these men are probably bringing this man to Jesus because they've heard that he can heal. They know that Jesus is the one that can help him. And so these men bring him on this mat. But there's a problem when they get there. Everybody got there before they did. Now they're sitting outside with this guy on a mat wondering what to do. But it's okay because they're problem solvers and they have this idea, we'll go in through the roof. I can just imagine being in this tightly packed room and all of a sudden you hear a scraping and like sounds on the rooftop and you're like, what is going on? Suddenly you see someone's foot come through and you're like, what is, what is this? Like, what would the situation have been? Would people have all just been like sitting there silently looking at Jesus while the roof is caving in? I don't know. Like, did everything stop? Did everybody just look up and be like, what, what kind of goat rodeo is this? Like, who's, what, why is this happening? Like, if I was there, I know I would have probably been a little bit upset. I'd be like, what do these guys think they're doing? They're trying to cut in line? Like, come on. Should have gotten here early, earlier. That's not what they did. They knew that Jesus could help their friend and they were going to do what it took to bring their friend to Christ or to Jesus. And as ridiculous as the situation um, might, have, might have been, they knew that Jesus could help him. They weren't afraid of the consequences. You know, they probably pulled their, thought, their minds together and like, oh, we'll, we'll pay together. I don't know what their thought process was. Uh, but they weren't afraid of the repercussions, but they wanted to bring their friend to, Christ, to Jesus. And we often see Jesus responding to this kind of humility in the Bible. There's many stories of people when they humble themselves and they recognize Christ as their only hope, the one that can save them, the one that they need, that he responds to them in, 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 a, in a great way. In Matthew 8, verses 8 to, 8, 8 to 10, we see the story of a centurion uh, whose, whose servant is sick, and he says this to Jesus. The centurion replies, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man, a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes, and I tell that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. <clears throat> and when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. The centurion knew he wasn't even worthy to have Jesus in his house, but he knew that Jesus was the only one who could save. <clears throat> and in Matthew 15, verses 21 to 28, there's this Canaanite woman who's not, who's not a woman from Israel who has a possessed daughter, and she's pleading Jesus for help. And Jesus, his mission was, was at that time to, to spread, the, spread the gospel to the, to the Jews. And so he replies to her, it's not right to take the children's bread, the message for the Jews, and, and get and toss it to the dogs, someone who wasn't a Jew. And then Canaanite, the Canaanite woman says, yes, it is, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. <clears throat> and what ends up happening is that Jesus recognizes her faith and, and she ends up uh, uh, rescuing her daughter. And in Mark 5, verses 30, 25 to 32, there's this woman that, that has this flow of blood for a long period of time, for years, and she, she knows that if she could just touch his clothes, she would probably be healed. And so she does it, and she gets healed and then Jesus confronts, them and confronts her, and he's like, who did that? And she's trembling, she's afraid, but she comes up forward, and she says, it was me, I did it. These people knew that Jesus was what they needed, and they would do anything to get near him, or they, would, uh, they recognized his authority over things and their inability to accomplish it. And as believers, we too should be a, a humble people. I mean, if we claim to follow and believe in, in, in Jesus Christ, that we come to church, uh, that also means that we openly confess that we've sinned. 
It means that we've op openly confessed that our lives aren't together. Just by acknowledging that Christ is who he is and that we need him, we acknowledge that we're not enough. As, as believers, we should also take on this, this mantle of humility. <clears throat> so, anyways, the dirt falls from the ceiling, probably hits some people in the head. They, they make a hole big enough to lower this man down on the mat. And then Jesus does something that probably shocks everyone. Uh, he forgives the sin of the paralytic. He, says, he sees their faith and he's like, he says that your sins are forgiven, which is probably a surprise because the man who was lying on the mat probably wasn't expecting that. He was probably expecting to be healed or the people who brought him were probably brought him for that reason. Uh, but Jesus says that I forgive you of your sins because of your faith. Uh, and this would have been especially difficult uh, for some of these teachers of the law because they were kind of sitting there and they were reasoning. They got there ahead of time, so they were sitting up front and they could see what was happening. And they were kind of like thinking to themselves, like, how is this possible? Only God can forgive sins. <clears throat> right. I was going to mention that there are three miracles. Uh, and the first one is that he forgives the sin of the paralytic. Um, there's a Bible teacher by the name of Warren Wearsby who's passed away now. But his comment on forgiveness is this. Forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performs. It meets the greatest need, it costs the greatest price, and it brings the greatest blessing and the most lasting results. And so he, and the second miracle that happens right after that is he reads the minds of these teachers of the law. These minds of the teachers that say they're kind of like battling, like, is this, who is this person? Only God can forgive sins. And he reads their minds and he says, um, he challenges them, what's easier, to forgive sins or to heal somebody. And I think what he was really saying there is like, there's not a whole lot of evidence when you forgive somebody. Like if I were to forgive somebody for doing wrong to me, uh, what's the evidence of it? You can't, really, you can't really see it. So what's the proof that this man could really forgive sins? And Jesus says, um, let me look at the verse here. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, take up your mat and go home. He was proving to them that he had the power to forgive sins uh, by also healing him. And so you can see how the Gospel of Mark is pointing the direction of who Christ is. In the beginning, he's teaching with authority, he's casting out demons, he's healing the sick, and now he's forgiving sins. Although the people at that time may have not understood who he was, and even his own disciples didn't understand who he was, later on when they, write these, when he, when they wrote this account of who he was, they saw how he was revealing himself from the very beginning to be the Son of Man, or the Son of Man, uh, Son of God. <clears throat> so he commands this paralytic man to get up and walk, which is the third miracle. And while this isn't the primary concern, Jesus was more concerned about his, his, uh, his sin but his, over his legs, uh, he commands him to get up and walk. And he proves that he has the power to forgive sins, which is pretty cool for the guy because, I mean, he came to get his legs fixed and he got eternal life, which is pretty cool. <clears throat> and as we read through this story of Mark and as we continue to read through it, this is only chapter two, there's, there's much more to it. We see that he's trying to communicate through his, what, his, what he's trying to communicate through his gospel becomes clear. And even though the people at that time didn't necessarily understand uh, what he, was, what, what he was pointing towards was that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He had authority on earth to heal the sick, cast out demons, and even forgive sins. 
And now when we think of how we apply that in today's life, like what does that story have to do with us today? There are some differences. Uh, The first one being is that we don't have physical access to to Jesus. Uh, We don't have a a house that we can go to and break through the roof in order to get to him. Um, But we do have his word. We know who he is. The people at the time may have not understood as well as who he was, but we can through his word. And when he left, he sent the Holy Spirit. He said, it's better that I leave so that all of you may have the advocate, the Holy Spirit. Some of the same things that we find in the story, though, are the issues that we face. These people went to hear Jesus speak with authority, and it sounds like a lot of them had issues. They were possessed by demons. They, had, um, they were sick. They spent a lot of time healing them, and they wanted to know who he was. Uh, we also have issues in our daily life. We have issues that, in our families. You know, our families are not perfect. Every family is a little unique. I know mine certainly is, but it's a good one. Um, we have issues at work. You know, the, the, uh, the environment at work can be challenging for you. The time commitment, the, what you have to put into your work can be challenging. You know, we might have legitimate health needs. We might not, we might not uh, have a healthy body, healthy system. Uh, we might even have trouble ma- meeting some of our basic needs. And these can seem like huge problems. Um, but sometimes in all of these problems that we have, sometimes we forget that our biggest issue that we have is the issue of sin the disobedience that we have in our lives of turning away from who God is. And when they, when they brought this paralytic man to Jesus, his first response, his first diagnosis was the sin in his life. <clears throat> Another similarity that we have between this story and our current situation is that Jesus is still forgiving of sins. You know, he provided a sign for these teachers of the law that he was able to forgive sins by healing this man and letting him walk out of the room. He also provided a sign for us through his death and his resurrection. That he is who he says he is, that he's capable of taking on our sin. In Romans 10 verse 9, it says this, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We can still be saved by Jesus. He still cares about us in that way. He still can save us from our sins. And I like to, like, I love how lately during worship we've had these testimonies on the screen. We've incorporated that in part of, as part of our worship. You know, stories of people who come to God realizing who he is. And when you come to realize who he is, you are immediately humbled because you realize that you're not that. You realize that you've missed the mark. And I love how uh, they're willing to put themselves on the screen and share that story with others. In the same way, these men, they knew something about Jesus. They knew that their friend needed help, and they knew this man could save him, and they brought him. In the same way, these people who share testimonies, the way we do that with each other, we know who Jesus is. We know that he can save us. We bring each other towards him. Our motto here at Pathway has always been uh, to help those far from God come to know life in Christ. And I mean, that's good for our church to have that motto, but it's also the... The, like it's, a, it's a, a value that all Christians should have to help those far from God come to know life in Christ. Our, our goal is to literally be the four friends hauling our friend on this mat to Jesus. Because we know that he's able to save them. You know, I meet with a group once a week 
uh, and we kind of go through some accountability questions and we talk about um, one of the questions that we always go through is, have you been a witness to the greatness of Jesus Christ with both your words and actions this week? And sometimes it's a challenging question because you're like, oh, well, I don't know. This week was kind of rough. I was really busy. But more and more, the, time, the more and more I read that question, the more I say, like, I feel like, yes, like, I want that to be more of something that happens in my life. I want to be a witness to who Jesus Christ is. I know who he is. I know he can save people. I want other people to know that too. So the question that I have for you guys today and something to take away from the sermon is, um, who is the friend or stranger that needs help in your life? How, do you, how does your knowledge of Jesus Christ uh, motivate you to bring, him, bring them to him? Let's let our faith in the person of Jesus Christ cause us to share him with our friends and our neighbors. Let's pray together. Uh, dear Lord, we just thank you for today. And Lord, we just thank you for um, the inspiration you've given to the, to the writers uh, in, in your word that point to who you are, Lord. And as we get to know who you are, Lord, would you help us to share that with other people, knowing that you are capable of saving, Lord, and that the small things and the distractions of life, um, you know, the, the, with, with all the things that are going on in our world today, Lord, but, but they become the secondary thing. And would we be reminded of who, what you've actually saved us from? Would you give us the peace that we need in knowing that we are eternally uh, yours and that we would share that with others? Lord, we thank you so much for who you are and the things that you do in our lives. We just pray this in your name. Amen.